Welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. My name's Amy McDonald. I'm a yoga teacher, yoga student, and a yoga business coach. And I'm here to support you to share your yoga with the people in your community who really need it. So if you're an amazing yoga teacher, but you sometimes struggle with the business part of what it is that you do, you're in the right place. I hope you thoroughly enjoy everything I've got in store for you. And if you have any suggestions, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, reach out to me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Hey everyone, welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast for this week. I hope you're all doing great. This week, uh, nerd alert, nerd alert, this week I uh, am going to do a bit of a teaching based on one of the chapters of the Bhagavad Gita. Now, having said that, uh, I'm really pulling out a teeny tiny portion of one of the chapters of the Bhagavad Gita. So, <laughs> as you can imagine, uh, there's lots in there and um, I thought this one piqued my interest uh, today. So I thought, you know what, I think that's a great topic for our podcast. So I'm going to be talking about tapas, discipline, um, sadhana, spiritual practice, discipline, and sadhvik tapas, sadhvik tapas in terms of mental Tapas. If I've lost you already, I'm going to unpack it. I promise. So what am, What are you talking about, Amy? Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is teaching Arjuna. Um, so this is chapter, let me backtrack a moment. I'm talking about chapter 17. We've all, we've just, you know, we've been through the moment uh, where the, 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 you know, the, the divine cosmos is revealed to Arjuna Krishna says, wow, look at this. It's actually, I'm everything. I'm not just your mate. I'm actually also God and I am everything you know of and beyond it. And uh, Krishna, you know, tries to show that to Arjuna after having been asked to. And Arjuna looks for a while and he has the two st- stages of samadhi. And, and as much as he's blissing out in all of that, he's also freaking out because he's seen, you know, the the, the, the all-consuming fire. And he's like, dude, okay, I'm tapped. I've had enough look, can we just take it down a level? I get it-ish, but what I need you to do is walk me through how. Okay, I understand the bigger picture, but how the hell? It's like a, this is a crass analogy. It's con people, please don't email me. But it's like, you know, when you suddenly get shown the roaring power of Facebook advertising and then you're like, wah, okay, I just need you to like break it down, step me through it. So Arjun is doing that with Krishna. And so Krishna talks about, you know, the different ways that you can uh, approach life as, 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 as a spiritual being and, um, and, and more um, formal ways that you can do that and then also other ways that you can do it. And, I've, and he starts to talk about uh, gunas, the three natures of reality, you know, rajas, tamas, sattva, so to talk about those in terms of spiritual practice. Now, obviously, uh, Krishna thinks that that sadvik tapas is, sorry, sadvik, yeah, tapas is is where you want to be, and that you that's the that's the true path. That's the um, that's the that's the form of faith that is the most pure, uh, and that is the form of faith that that worships the devas as opposed to you know. Ghosts, if you're if you practice tamasic tapas, you 
worshiping ghosts. If you practice rajasic tapas, you're worshiping like uh, rakshasas and yakshas and it's all about uh, desire and uh, chasing down money in a kind of hungry way, in a, in a very passionate, kind of depleting hot way. So the, the most pure form is, is to pursue uh, a spiritual practice that takes a sattvic form, tapas, the tapas, um, meaning uh, discipline, meaning um, uh, steps to progress you on your path, uh, meaning the, the power that you generate through spiritual practice, meaning heat, um, meaning suffering, but not, um, you know, Krishna reminds us it doesn't necessarily mean uh, suffering in a in the way that we would use the word suffering in English, right? It means um, commitment to a practice for the purposes of something beyond your beyond and above yourself. And so, in doing those things, Krishna says to Arjuna, you know, the best way is to pursue the uh, savik tapas, the 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 spiritual practices or the the disciplines that are of a higher and more pure nature and then from those sattvic tapas uh, techniques there are three uh, subsets there are the techniques of speech or the practices of speech the practices of body and the practices of mind and so today what I want to talk about are the five practices of the mind for Savik Tapas that Krishna explains to Arjuna as one of the routes you can take towards, uh, you know, um, samadhi or, 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 or pro- progress on the path. So cool. Hey, <laughs> I'm going to break them down uh, one by one. And then what I've also done, let me just get my notes sorted out here. What I've also done is come up with some um, sort of considerations around each one from 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 a coaching modality perspective. Sorry, I think my shirt was just rubbing on the mic there. All right, so so uh, what's the best way to do it? I'm going to go through them o- overview, and then I'm going to break them all down. So these are the manasikas, uh, the manasika tapas, or the satvik. Uh, hang on, let me um, the the more pure spiritual practices of the mind. Yeah. So if you are for, for householders, sorry, I should have made that clear earlier. As Krishna talks about earlier in the Gita, there are, um, Gita, there are other, um, ways that you can be, um, that you can approach your sadhana. This is for householders like you and me, which is why I really like them. They're just good check-ins and hint, like I always say, you know, here's five things. Uh, if you were doing like a five morning intensive or five week something or other or a five day retreat, here you go. Here's another five things that you could base workshops, teachings, classes, trainings on if you so desire. Righto. Uh, Manasika tapas, the five elements, the five attributes, the five practices for maintaining greater purity of the mind. Number one, cheerfulness. Cheerfulness or a positive outlook. Number two, kindness. They're nice, right? Number three, mauna or silence. 
a big part of my retreat. Number four, self-control. Uh, and not in the like brahmacharya spilling your seed kind of self-control. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to the not spilling of the seed kind. <laughs> uh, number five, purity of intention. So these are the Manasika Tapas as described by Krishna in uh, the Bhagavad Gita chapter 17. I think actually it's like verse 16 of chapter 17. I didn't write that down. Sorry, folks. Um, I'll, uh, I'll look into it and put it in the episode notes. If you want to go get the actual verse, um, there you have it. So the, um, yeah, mental cheerfulness, kindness, silence, self-control, purity of intent. These are called the penance of the mind. That's one uh, from gitajourney.com. That's one interpretation. Um, yeah. So, so what, Amy? Big shit. You just gave us a list of things. Well, the reason that I like these things is because, one, they're a great teaching tool. But two, I don't know about you, but so I often come to this point, often come to this point of thinking, well, hell, what what, what does it mean to even do yoga you know, I had a, um, it's always, always this awkward moment on another Tinder moment where, you know, the person, the Tinder person says, oh, I see that you like yoga too. What sort of yoga do you like? And I'm just thinking, oh, here we are again, because I'm, ah, because of course they don't want me to say, well, you know, but I'm particularly curious right now about verse 16 of chapter 17 of the Bhagavad Gita and how that applies to me. No, they just want to know. I like the sweaty hot one. But, you know, these are interesting questions when we, and I'm sure this is true for you too, right? Like you, we had this conversation again on my Insta uh, this morning about what does it all mean anyway? Um, and, and so looking into greater depth uh, into the teachings, um, I think is important and, and, and becoming more subtle in how we practice yoga. Like for me, it's much more about my conduct day to day than it has anything to do with ring, anything that contains lycra. Uh, and arguably the former is more difficult than the latter. So here's a nice lens for considering how's your practice going, you know, how's your, not how much have you fucked your hip or how, how, how close are you to pulling up to the pincher in the middle of the room, but how's your inner practice going? Manasika tapas, the five opportunities to check in with your uh, progress to purity. Uh, in the in the selfless sense of faith, so number one, cheerfulness. Um, I love this because this. I, I my I like to think about cheerfulness in terms of having a positive outlook or maintaining a positive outlook. I've been staying at my sister's house this past uh, couple of days because there's crazy amounts of construction happening at my house. And um, she lives in a, a place where it's quite high density housing and there are little pockets of where she lives where it's the, the, um, the, the, the speed the speed limit is really low. It's like 40. I don't know what that is in miles, but 40 Ks is like slow. And, um, and I know when I've been in my, my car with my sister, she'll say to me, you know, it's 40 here, Amy, because normally it's 50, 60 in those sorts of areas here in Australia. And so like, shit, okay, slow down. So I'm quite mindful of it because I don't want to get a speeding ticket. Um, and, and inevitably while I'm out driving to the supermarket, you have to drive through this little area of 40 and, 
people will do this thing where they zoom up behind you because you're going so slow and then they just sit on your ass for ages. And this always makes me giggle because um, it's fun, right? Like it's just not, not because I feel bad for them, not because I think I'm better for them. It's just funny that I'm just doing my, my thing and isn't this funny that here's another person zooming up behind me. Um, you know, I think that, that just the sort of like underlying cheerfulness that makes people generally happier most of the time. I, I know that that's something that has developed in me over time as a consequence of practicing yoga. I'll, I'll, people often say to me, oh, well, you laugh a lot. Um, and some, I mean, I've met, again, this is dating because for me at this point in my life, I'm meeting most new people. That's that's the, the, the form that it takes and I'm meeting new people for any period of time. And quite often when someone doesn't know me, they'll think I'm laughing at them uh, when I'm just laughing from joy. I'm just laughing because I'm happy. It's just a way that my body expresses cheerfulness, right? Um, but they're unaccustomed to people laughing without someone having made a joke uh, and they feel like they've done something wrong or I'm teasing them which horrifies me, as I'm sure you can imagine, because it's never my intention. So, you know, just this, this idea of cultivating a sense of an underlying sense of cheerfulness as part of, a, you know, one of the measures or one of the, one of the um, things to, qualities to aspire to on your spiritual path, I absolutely love. But here's what's important to remember. There is a difference between this element of the uh, Manasika Tapas maintaining a positive outlook and cheerfulness and spiritual bypassing. Very different. And I'm talking about the former, not the latter. So spiritual bypassing, um, it's about pretending that everything's good. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, pretending that everything is like sweetness and light and uh, refusing to acknowledge or suppressing any emotions that aren't positive, right? Um Emotional numbing, detachment, uh, you know, being frightened of, of negative emotions, being uh, judgmental of them, uh, carrying on like everything's all good when um, it is in some ways and it isn't in others. On the, on the, in the manifest realm day to day, of course, it's not. It's not. Um, not all the time. On, on the bigger picture level as, as you know, elements of consciousness experiencing itself of course it is but we're not talking about that we're talking about well shit I got another bill that I can't cover with my current account or I don't know uh, I forgot to put out the bins and now I've got stinky trash for another week or whatever it is right so not that it's a big deal but it's not always all good so in cultivating this I this this sense of cheerfulness we need to make sure that we're not doing that at the expense of how we truly feel. That is a that it is a genuine, underlying, generally glass half full kind of positive outlook, rather than spiritual bypassing where you're claiming that everything is always fabulous. You're fabulous, and then you're locking yourself in your pantry and eating two packets of Oreos because actually things are fucked. That's spiritual bypassing, right? Or or um, telling somebody they're less spiritual because they got angry or because they felt sad or because they took longer to process their frustration or their grief or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a genuine 
uh, sort of upwelling of kind of good vibes, really. Uh, and having that as goal, I think this is beautiful. Having these as, as, as aspirational targets, have cheerfulness, genuine, not contrived, not um, camouflaging, but genuine cheerfulness as a measure of your spiritual growth. Yes, please. I'll take that. Um, so next, next is kindness. And I, again, when I was making my notes for this week, the, um, the line in the guitar just says kindness in terms of, you know, obviously <laughs> it's English translation. Uh, I'm I've added to self and others because, uh, you know, we can, we need to make sure that we're doing both. And sometimes you can't in a very overt way, you can't do both at the same time. Um, so we need to, you know, this is an interesting play now, you know, kindness, this one is, is really interesting, right? Because how do we know if we're conducting ourselves in a way that expresses and fosters and generates kindness from a sattvic tapas perspective, i.e. for for no greater uh, outcome than purity of heart, progress on the path. We're not looking for any sort of boons here. How do we know that our kindness is in the Gita sense pure versus uh, people-pleasing, people-pleasing, codependency, doing stuff for others because of your own uh, karma load because of your own previous experience, your own conditioning. So again, I love the idea that kindness number two in the Manasika tapas list is a measure and a goal of spiritual progress. And here again, in terms of self development, personal mastery as practitioners on the path, we can become contemplative about the difference between what is genuine kindness in this sense versus what is kindness driven from some uh, ulterior motive, which for what I see most commonly is, is uh, a result of a people-pleasing behavior pattern from, from uh, previous conditioning. So I've got three little, in breaking this one down, I came up with sort of three uh, quick checks that you can do to notice, am I uh, conducting myself here in kindness? Am I taking this action in kindness? Am I having this conversation in kindness from from, from genuine uh, Manasika Tapas perspective or people-pleasing? Three quick checks. One, am I expecting feedback as a result of this? Am I expecting feedback as a result of this? So that one, for an example, um, you know, this is where you you give someone a gift, and then if they don't ring you up and effusive thanks and how much they love it, you feel pissed off. <laughs> Were you looking for some kind of feedback there, or did you just give the gift because you were just being kind? You know, did you? Um, yeah. So feedback number two validation did you need to did you were you seeking validation when you did this act or said this thing with kindness uh for example um 
I don't know, uh, you put out your neighbor's bin and they didn't say thanks and you felt unhappy about that. When genuine manasikatapa sattvic kindness isn't about whether or not they said thanks, it's just that you did it because it was the kind thing to do. So if you're seeking validation from your kindness, then we may be into people-pleasing territory. And then the last one that I think can be an indicator of perhaps people-pleasing over genuine kindness is where you are giving to the point of depletion, doormatting, when you are doing everything for everybody else but nothing for yourself. Uh, the small potato syndrome, you know, you feed all the kids all the food and you eat, eat the scraps at the end. If, the, if your kindness is showing up as kindness to the point of depletion, you're into codependency territory. So number two in our five practices is kindness. How do you know if it's kindness versus people-pleasing? It's probably people-pleasing if you're looking for feedback, validation, or you're giving to the point of depletion. And that can be time, resources, energy, anything. Curious, right? Now, that doesn't mean to say that, hey, you put your neighbor's bin out or I don't know, what's another whatever that happens? Um, I, I, I picked up a bit of paper that was flapping along the footpath the other day and stuck it in the bin, right? Just because, I don't know, that's, it was rubbish and whatever, put it in the bin. Um, now, if someone had said to me, oh, that was a nice thing to do, the fact that someone said that to me doesn't, devalue my kindness if my intention wasn't wasn't uh, tied to getting the validation like just because you're validated doesn't mean your kindness doesn't count or is somehow you know flawed erroneous just to be clear on that and it can still feel nice when someone says hey thanks that gets to still feel nice but the point is it wasn't the motivator getting the validation getting the feedback wasn't the motivator it gets to be nice, but it wasn't the primary reason that you did it in the first place. All right, next, uh, Mauna or silence. Now, this is the one that, geez, this one, can, this one is one that I personally am totally working on, silence. Now, this is not just, um, like, I love this. When I go on retreat, when I teach my abundant yoga teacher retreat, we do Mauna uh, silence every night from 7.30 at night until 9.30 the following morning with a couple of breaks just over the course of the yoga class. But essentially we go to do meditation, we come into the meditation hall in silence, and then we don't start talking to each other again until after breakfast of the next day. And um, the reason that I do that, there's a couple of reasons. One of them is from a Svadhyaya perspective, it gives you the opportunity for contemplation, which is what uh, Krishna is talking to Arjuna here about in the Gita. Uh, Mauna, silence for the purpose of contemplation. Now, what I always find interesting is um, uh, often um, folks who come on my retreat, you know, we're still, we're in noble silence and no one's talking to each other, but they might still be on their phone looking at their social media over breakfast, for example. Uh, and while no doubt, uh, pursuing social media can uh, support us in formulating questions about ourselves and our identity. That's another podcast. That's not the purpose of not talking to each other. So you've just got more time to zone out on your phone. So similarly, 
here, Mauna is not simply just not speaking. It's not um, mere barbering your stuff out on a chalkboard for a week so your family has to put up with that. You know, it's, it, please, if you're a mere barber devotee, I just, I was being goofy, don't email me. I've got a lot of don't email me. I'm sorry for being disrespectful today. <laughs> I've pissed off all the ISKCON people. I've pissed off all the mere barber devotees. Who's next, Dane? Let's find out. Um, okay, so if, <laughs> if um, you know, here, Mauna is about silence for the purpose of contemplation. And like I said, this one is a gut punch for me often because I often find um, that the idea of being in silence is, is in a sneaky, insidious way, really scary. And, and, and often I'll fill up my life with noise to avoid silence. I know my Nana does this, right? I don't know if you have elderly parents or grandparents. My Nana will have the TV on most of the day because the sound means she doesn't feel lonely, right? She's frightened of being alone. So she keeps the noise on, she keeps the TV on so that she's not confronted with the reality that she is alone. She's old, she's alone. Um, I know for me sometimes this shows up when uh, I have a book that I really want to read, but the idea of even just sitting on my sofa just reading a book can make me feel in a, in a little way agitated. So I don't read the books, not because I don't want to read the books, but the idea of being still and silent has become, again, foreign. And to 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 get myself to that point actually takes me a few hours of preparation to the point where I can actually sit still on my sofa and, and read a book in silence. So for anybody who who this one... Mana might be something that you're working on of the five qualities or the five practices for today. Uh, I've broken this one down into um, <laughs> sorry, folks, I'm just looking at my notes and my handwriting is abhorrent. And so I'm, I'm not actually sure what my third point is. Um, so I'm just going to say I've got three points. There was four, but I can't read the third one. So there is only three, and I think they still hang together quite well. In mapping this out for you, I, you know, sitting with my own uh, current, ongoing, it would seem, um, practice of Mauna, how that shows up for me in my life, I felt that these were three good check-ins if you also find yourself struggling with this particular practice. So the first one is to think about where am I avoiding silence in my life? Um, where is it showing up for you? I shared just now that from my nana, it shows up as when she's at home by herself, she's avoiding silence. For me, it shows up as um, you know, reading great books really can, uh, or in the bath, I'm the same now, I'll often like listen to something in the bath. These are places where I'm avoiding silence. The next, so where are you avoiding silence? The next one is, what are you afraid of? Like if you dig under that, what is it that you're actually afraid of? And um, for my Nana, in her case study, in her example, she's really afraid of being alone, really afraid of that. 
Uh, for me, in, in what am I afraid of? I think I'm afraid of um, all of the thinking that will happen needs to get processed out before I kind of have cleared the decks and have the space to sit there with the book. There's a lot of chittavritti up there that needs to come out first and that can feel like a lot of work, you know, doing all of that thinking, um, processing it out, not, not, not sticking in it, but, but moving through it, you know, it's like a long meditation sit it kind of, it's like a catharsis. It's, it's work, right. To just let all of that stuff out. And so for me, I'm afraid of ugh, to, to do that again before I can just be present and really jump and dive and sink into this great new book. And then, so, so one, where are you avoiding silence? Two, what is it that you're afraid of, i.e. what's causing you to avoid silence? And then three, how can you explore that thing that you're afraid of in a way that feels safe? So, um, and I'm not going to use my Nana in this example because she's fucking 90-something and she doesn't need to. She gets to just have her TV on all the time, God damn it, and not feel lonely uh, with Ridge and Brooke and all the rest of them. Uh, but for me, like, how can I explore that in a safe way? So um, probably throwing myself into a 10-day vipassana to simply boo with all the stuff that's in my head, not very safe. Not very safe. In terms of, I mean, again, vipassana, go anchor people. Don't email me. What I mean is, um, of course it's safe and there's people there and helpers and da-da-da, whatever. I'm not talking about that. What I mean is, for me, that's just much too anxiety-causing. What might feel safer for me as a preliminary step, and this one definitely works for me, is working out, working out, going to the gym and working out. It takes an hour, lift some weights, do some cardio, no headphones, work it out, let the brain do its thing while my body is moving. It doesn't, it's not as agitating for me. Then I get home, take a shower, and there is nothing I want to do more than lie on my sofa for a few hours and just mang through a fantastic book. So, Mauna, the the practice of contemplative silence as a form of discipline, yogic discipline, if that one feels scary for you, here's some contemplation questions to get you into the groove. Where are you avoiding silence? What is it that you're actually afraid of? And how could you explore that fear in a way that feels safe, such that you are then available for the practice of silence? All right, number four of our Manasika Tapas is self-control. Now, like I said at the start, this is not Brahmacharya. No, this is not Anjali, this is the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Krishna talking to Arjuna. Uh, towards the end, they've done the big reveal. We're in the denouement of the Gita. Uh, and he's talking about like the get real stuff. In fact, this is also the chapter where he's like, you know, these people eat this and those people eat that and those people eat scraps and like it's really the stuff. The poor people who have a tamas diet, poor, poor people. Anyway, he's like really nuts and bolts by this point. So here, he's not talking about um, self-control, brahmacharya of your energy or your whatever, sexual, I don't even know, you know, that. He's talking about self-control of thoughts. He's talking about reframing. He's talking about flipping the script. He's talking about choosing to think good stuff 
instead of bad stuff. Asterisks refer to point one above, re-spiritual bypassing. But back to this, this is where you get to be the creator of your own reality by adjusting the way that you think about things for real. And man, I, you know, I started working with a coach in 2013 and he would go on and on and on with me about this stuff. And I read so many books on this topic and I really practiced it in a way that felt so clunky and awkward at the, at the start. But I've got to say it has just so much so become my normal now. Again, this is the sort of yoga that I'm much more interested in these days than can you, I don't know, can you, um, can you go from headstand to handstand in, you know, one quick cool move. Don't get me wrong. If I could do that, I would pull it out at weddings for sure. But receptions, not like as someone's walking down the aisle, bam, look at me. Uh, but this sort of stuff about you know self-control of your thoughts and choosing positive thoughts over negative ones, that shifts your entire experience of life all the time. And again, dating analogy, man, I'd forgotten because I'm accustomed to hanging around with folks that are kind of doing this work and you're probably the same. I'd forgotten what it's like to hang out with Debbie Downers. If your name's Debbie, don't email me. I'm sorry. Like Pam's, don't email me. Wowzer, right? Yo, yo, whoa, whoa. I've got some people in my family, extended family. Debbie Downers. Debbie Downers. We have a drought, right, in this country, drought. And then it starts raining. And my family are like, oh, my God, I have to mow my lawn like twice a week. You nuts? Like, we're in drought and it's raining. That's awesome. Who cares about your lawn? Oh, whoa, this is really curious to me. Can people really be that negative about stuff? I guess so. I'm so grateful that this one for me is something that someone, fabulous coach, seven years ago, gave me a serious kick in the pants because, dang, I was flunking this test. I am so grateful that I am on the road. I haven't got it yet. I still need my own kick in the pants. But, uh, man, I'm not the Debbie Downer that I used to be, and that is a good thing. I like this teaching um, from Mel Robbins. Hello. We love everything about Mel Robbins. But uh, I like how she talks about if-then plans, if-then plans. So if you are working on this particular tapas, if you are looking, if you're working on the self-control of your thoughts, i.e. flipping the script, reframing, choosing to see the benefit, not spiritually bypassing, uh, not being a Debbie Downer, moving into glass half full territory, accepting the basic premise of human experience is amazing. And if miracles aren't happening, then something is misaligned. This might be useful. Thank you, Mel Robbins. If then plans. She says, if then plans are an incredibly effective way to help you stick to your goals. It's simply a backup plan that you make ahead of time. And apparently... Love Mel Robbins because she has all these stats. She says researchers at Columbia University found that making an if-then plan increases the success rates on your goals from 39% to 91%. Okay, so for in this example, an if-then rule would look like something along these lines. If I start to hear those voices of self-doubt go off in my head again, then 
I will repeat an empowering thought like, I am powerful, I can change my life. Right? So this is if you have mantra, um, if you have affirmations, if we've done work together, as chances are you've written a whole bunch of affirmations. This is when you bring them in. If I find myself defaulting into that old way of thinking, then I am going to haul out my mantra book and recite my positive affirmations. If I find myself defaulting to assuming something negative of somebody without proof, then I'm going to remember that I choose to see the best in everybody, reframe what I was going to say and speak my truth with love, right? If then rules. If self-control of thoughts is something that you're working on, give yourself some if then rules that you prepare in advance such that if you find yourself defaulting to behavior that you're looking to change, you've got something a tool ready there to go use to get you back into where you want to be. And then the last one, the final, uh, the final practice in this Manasika Tapas is purity of intent. This one's, this one's so interesting. Purity of intent. I gotta say, I Googled this. <laughs> I'll tell you what I Googled. I Googled, how do I know if my intentions are pure? Fair to say, uh, pages of, um, uh, it's the closest I've ever got to falling into like an incel kind of like situation, man, that was not what I meant. <laughs> that is not what Krishna means. At least that gets to be a part of it, but <laughs> not in its entirety. So, um, but this is interesting, right? Like, how do you know if your intentions are pure? How do you actually know? I had a situation happen last week um, where I caught my neighbor stealing something. <laughs> I caught my neighbor stealing. Uh, but at, hang on, let me back. I caught someone stealing. I didn't know that it was my neighbor. I caught someone stealing. They were loading stuff that didn't belong to them into their truck. And as they drove past my house, I have my phone and I took a picture of their license plate, right? Because they're stealing all this stuff. They're loading up their car with stuff. And I'm like, dang, that's stealing, man. Um, and I have my phone and I just took a photo of their license plate. Okay, fine, whatever, go back into my house. Then I get a text message from another neighbor saying, hey, just letting you know that that was neighbor number one. And he's really freaked out because uh, he saw you with your phone. And uh, the stuff that he, that he took, he's building a community garden with it. And he's a really nice guy and, uh, and he keeps bees and you should ask him for some honey. <laughs> okay, so suddenly now I'm thinking, okay, shit, like I don't want to be, I don't want to be the neighbor that rags out, you know, neighbor number one for stealing stuff. And, and I don't know, does like, does the fact that you're stealing something to build a community garden make it less stealing? Uh, like ethical paradox. Amy's suddenly thrown into existential crisis because she happened to be standing in her driveway with her phone at the wrong moment. So, okay, okay, we need to process this. <laughs> what is my intent in this situation? What is the purity of my intent? Okay, great friend. We work. We workshop it together. I'm. I'm freaking out. I'm. I'm already the crazy catless cat lady in the street. I was standing at the end of my driveway in my goddamn Rajneeshi robes. Like I'm that chick. We never see her. When we do see her, she's got like a, 
maroon nighty on. She's weird. Yeah, okay, all right. I'm, I'm already that chick in the street. It's a small street. I'm already her. And now I'm like snarking on the neighbors who are building a community garden. Like, do I hate everybody? Okay, so I need, obviously, I need uh, some spiritual guidance. So I call my spiritual guide, aka and uh we process this like what the hell what are you what is even going on she says well you know you were raised to really do the right thing all the time and and so you jealous because actually the thing that they were stealing you would like that I'm like you know what I really would like that because it's a cool thing the thing that they were stealing it was really cool and I I could use I would love to have that at my house am I just jealous because he had the guts to steal it and I didn't and I sort of sat with that and am I just trying to penalize him because because he's doing what I want and I'm resentful what's going on okay actually no because if I want that thing I know where you can buy it and I'm gonna go buy it and then the thing of well is he upset with me because I busted him stealing or uh or that he was stealing at all is it stealing if you're not caught? Like all of this sort of stuff. Anyway, what it boiled down to was after a lot of soul searching and self-doubt, actually, why did I take a photo of that guy stealing? I took the photo of that guy stealing because I wanted him to know that someone saw him. That's it. I was never going to send the photo to the police or any of that stuff. I just wanted to say, hey, I see you stealing I didn't know it was my neighbor. I certainly didn't want to create discord in my neighborhood, but this happened. And why did I want to show someone else that they'd been seen stealing? Genuinely because I think stealing sucks. Stealing sucks. And I don't want to live in a street where if someone sees someone else stealing, they don't call them on it. And... That was my intent. Only that. Not to be righteous, not to be the pure yogi, not to get validation, not to uh, condemn him. to the. All I wanted was to say, I'm not okay with people stealing in my street because I don't think stealing is a good thing. And I'm just going to let you know that I saw you. And what you do with it, that's on you. Um, But I'm not, I would feel uncomfortable if I witnessed you stealing and did nothing about it. So all of this to say that it took me a good half hour of talking about this whole thing, which had just been, oh, shit, no, pull out the phone from the Osho robe, snap the photo, go back inside. That, you know, that turned into this whole big thing about, well, let, okay, you call yourself a yoga practitioner. What was your intention there? Was it pure? What were you? At, what was actually going on? And what what is your what is the appropriate contact? And more importantly, is particularly for today for us, what was my state of mind? What was my mental intention? What was my desired outcome? What was my thought process? And what were all of the samskaras and vasanas that led me to the point to do so much goddamn over processing in the first place? So these are. The, the to slice through all of this how do you know that your intention is pure ultimately what what it came down to for me in that situation and where i think the 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 way to slice through this is to spend time considering what do you really want 
What do you really want? How do you know if your intention is pure? What do you really want? I.e., what is your primary motivator? And once you get clear on that, then you can make an assessment to your own level of satisfaction whether or not your intention is pure. When I got right down to what do I really want, what I really want is to live in a world where we don't steal from each other. And what I really want is to um, be brave enough to call someone on their bullshit. And what I really want is to not steal as much myself because i got to say after this whole situation, I'm thinking about my own conduct in a whole other, where am I stealing from people? Because I'm doing it. I'm sure we're all doing it in some way. Where are we stealing from people? What does that look like for you? Where are you taking in a way that's not good, not balanced, not okay? That's what I want. And when I got clear on that, then I felt okay about my intention. Heavy, right? But don't you think this is so interesting? Don't you think like these sorts, if you're, if you're, done if you think you've taught on everything if you talk taught or you i've done the gita i've done no attached to the fruits i've done sukhastiram asanam i'm done like what look at this here's a whole five things five things contained in just one line of one chapter of the bhagavad gita which is just one part of the freaking Mahabharata. like this is endless and i could talk for hours simply about the fact that i <laughs> I took a selfie with my thieving neighbor. <laughs> These are super juicy and super powerful. And and for anybody who's like, ah, oh, you know what? I've done yoga asana for a while now. I'm not feeling it anymore. Get into this stuff. This is your yoga too, right? This is Krishna teaching Arjuna you know, what yoga actually is. You can't get much more like real deal yoga than than exploring these these. Uh, Spiritual disciplines of the mind, that's what they are, the highest, most pure spiritual disciplines of the mind. So let me recap them for you. Uh, They are cheerfulness, kindness, silence, self-control of thoughts, and purity of intent. Super beautiful, right? Manasika tapas are the five uh, mental disciplines uh, for a pure pure mind as a as as a form of sadhana as a, as a form of spiritual practice nice one hey folks uh that's us for today i a couple of things to announce two courses currently on sale uh the social media confidence for yoga teachers i'm doing another round of that because karen wanted one because she missed out last time she's already in hi karen uh so if you want to get socially mediaally confidently uh if you want to get more confident using social media. I've had so many people who have done the program say in their testimonials. Actually, now I really kind of like like it. <laughs> ah, and someone, uh, Amanda Jane, sent me a message, an uh, Insta message uh, yesterday. Um, apparently, there's an article in Yoga Journal this month about TikTok uh, <laughs> and how it might be the next thing for yoga teachers. Well, who knew? me uh because that's what i'll teach you in social media confidence for yoga teachers it starts on the 31st of march so if you want to jump in on that one uh amymcdonald.com.au forward slash social and drum roll please uh i have just completed the course content for my new facebook advertising course so if you want to get great at facebook ads um this i've made this course for you it's four weeks, eight classes over four weeks, like the social media confidence, same deal. Um, I won't go into all the brouhaha now, but if you want to go take a look at that, 
amymcdonald.com.au forward slash Facebook ads. The links are in the episode notes, so you can click them there. Um, I that one, I can't take everybody who wants to do it because I want to uh, really give people a lot of support and um, that takes a lot of time when we're doing Facebook ads. So I'm going to limit the number of people who sign up for that. We get started, I think it's the 6th of April, but the regos close at the end of this month as well. So go take a look at that if you want to. And I want to do a shout out to Susan in the Key Growing Mastermind who, I love this, she took herself off to a uh, Facebook training, Facebook ads training somewhere in Florida last week. She says to me, you know, Amy, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, Amy does know quite a bit about Facebook ads. <laughs> yes, I'm not making this shit up, folks. I've been doing this for years. I'm 60 grand down on Facebook ad spend. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so if you want to check out my new Facebook ads program, amymcdonald.com.au forward slash Facebook ads. Thanks everybody for listening in as always. And thanks folks so much for um, sending me really nice notes about the podcast and, uh, you know, um, sharing the podcast on your socials. It's really, it's just lovely. And also, um, you know, reviewing and rating. I, I'm super grateful. If there are topics that you would like more of, um, you know, what would be helpful to you? I've just sort of been pursuing topics that I like to geek out on, but I always really do want to be in service. So hit me up on Insta if there's anything in particular I could uh, make a podcast about for you at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. And uh, till next week, take care, everyone. Bye. So there you have it, folks, another edition of the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. Hey, favor to ask. If you found the content useful, I would be very grateful if you could support this podcast by giving me a five-star rating. And if you've got a moment, a review would be super cool. No pressure, of course. Like I said earlier, if you have any suggestions for podcast topics in the future, I would love to be in service. DM me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Take deep care.